my name is Scott Challoner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our programme will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership and current affairs. And to this end, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Alex Pearmain, co-founder of 150 Consultancy, onto today's show. Uh, 150 is a company which provides digital marketing and social media consulting and data products to help drive purposeful digital interactions. Um, So without further ado, Alex, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure, Alex. And um, I think I've given the uh, the concise overview of what your business uh, does there. But just for those uh, tuning in that might not be familiar with you, perhaps you could just sort of expand upon that. Of course. Um, after all, which entrepreneur doesn't like talking about their own business at mm. people? <laughs> um, so 150 uh, Consultancy, we, um, as you said, uh, provide digital marketing, social media consultancy services and associated data products. What does that mean in practice? We help organizations create what comes next digitally around how they engage with their audiences, their stakeholders, their customers, their employees. And that has a real range on it. So that can be data products that help people understand what the conversation around their product or category is and how they should flex their service delivery, product development, go-to-market, communications. Or on the other hand, it can actually help people execute um, against their growth marketing approach. So, for example, how do you generate more customers? How do you position yourself into a new market? So it's deliberately broad, and the focus for us is key in the word consultancy, so helping people identify what comes next by using models of behavior, because what I think is often overlooked about uh, the Internet and its transformative approach to business is that what's scalable is understanding the underpinning behaviors that people exhibit. Rather than thinking, oh, well, what picture shall I put on top of this campaign? Instead, understanding, actually, what is my audience looking for? What will they respond to? And what will really get them there? So, for example, maybe what your product is all about is helping someone Mm. uh, with their personal brand. And actually, that's what we need to lean into. So how do you shape your campaign in a way that allows others to share it because it enhances their personal brand? On the other hand, maybe it's a functional response to a need and you need to be using search marketing more. So there's a real breadth on it, but what unites everything that we're doing is trying to say, here's objective fact based on data which was enabled by digital behaviours. This is then how you use it. Yeah, and you've worked in this field for quite a long time, haven't you, for a a variety of businesses of different sizes before going and starting your own business. And uh, would you say that actually... Going and going alone, if we want to phrase it that way, would you say that that's something that you've always wanted to do, or uh, when did or did the penny drop maybe a little bit later on in your career that maybe that was going to be the pathway for you? No, I always um, had from probably not long after finishing university, I had I understood what motivates me and understood where I could potentially. Um, impact uh, economically and for me i'm i've got a background um in high level sport and i really value being in control of outcomes as far as anyone is and so i always understood from fairly early on in my career that probably being able to shape the broad direction of the business that i was operating in and being able to have significant kind of uh Control and opportunity within that was going to be important. And the best way within the broad marketing industry to do that is to set up your own business. 
I think so. That was from fairly early on. I had a loose view that I would want to, but it really firmed up for me uh, when I was in my mid twenties and actually moved to work at O2 and I had an amazing opportunity there where I set up their social media teams. So the mobile network, this is O2, mm-hmm. and I set up their social media teams covering customer service all the way through to marketing and comms. And it was a fantastic opportunity that the then CEO, my boss, who's the external affairs director now, uh, gave me to really do something broad. And I could see the transformative impact social media was having on businesses as big as O2. And we were ahead of the curve. And I knew there would be a 10 to 20 year opportunity to help organizations move through the challenges and opportunities that present. And that for me was a very big commercial opportunity that I was expert in and you know, it felt fairly natural there that there was a business to be created. Yeah, it certainly makes sense sir, from my perspective. And I suppose it goes without saying, doesn't it, that the experience that you had working with O2 and the various other businesses that you helped before going it alone, that probably held you in good stead, didn't it, for going and setting up your own business. But in some ways, I suppose, even if you, even though you've got experience of the industry, the actual business side of starting up your own company, I mean, can can you can you really be prepared for that without actually going in head first and doing it yourself? Would you say? I don't think you truly can. No, I think what you can best do is prepare your personal skills, approaches, and attributes. So I'd always tried to be within much larger organisations, try to be as entrepreneurial as possible within my role. So by and I particularly actually uh, my time so too went out of my way to spend a lot of time with people who are in the more commercial side of the business, you know, literally price settings, things like that, because that was an area that you just don't really get exposure to when your background is operating in marketing. And that was key for me because I wanted to develop out my commercial understanding and invested significant amounts of personal time in trying to understand that side. Because as you say, there's a gap here between, are you good at the thing you're selling to your customers? Hopefully I was and remain. The other side, though, is how do you actually operate a business? And I say, even I've had board-level roles in other marketing organizations, but it still doesn't prepare you for the buck stopping with you. And actually, in particular, um, now we're bigger, I find it there's more lessons I have from my experience when I was operating at a senior level in other businesses. But actually, those early first two years, nothing prepares you for that. Literally, how you go from zero to something is much harder than something to something bigger. Yeah, definitely. And um, if you could sort of go back and inform the younger you before you started of some of those key things that you did learn to make sure that you sort of stayed on the right track, what are some of the key things that you'd uh, you'd say? I think this sort of being reflective about my personal approach, the thing that, and I was talking to one of my team about this the other day, who's been with us nearly since the start of the business. um, I think the thing that I would both retain, but also change most is I had a real intensity, uh, almost existential, about how we were going about what we did as a business, you know, about standards, um, about execution quality. And that was integral to why we grew. Our clients knew that we were literally providing a better service. And it wasn't just that it was more innovative, it was also the way we executed. So my level of intensity of focus was absolutely right for the phase the business was in, but equally I would modulate how that came across for individuals at points. So trying to make, trying to sell them more on the vision of why this intensity matters and less on this intensity is the way it is, we need to do it. And I think it could have taken some of the early staff, some of whom are still with us, so uh, on that journey better with me. So there'd be that particular bit about how to deploy personally. And then the other one, which I'd appreciate lots of people say once their businesses start to scale is I would have gone harder and faster earlier 
in terms of having the confidence to really lean into the scale of the opportunity and be more aggressive about chasing it down. Whereas I think when you're naturally played with some degree of doubts about is this going to work, is this the right positioning and so on, at points you can shy away potentially from some big opportunities that yeah, knowing what I now know, I would have attacked aggressively. Perfectly understandable. It's about sort of, sort of, you know, summoning up the confidence to really uh, sort of go and do that, isn't it? And I suppose if you are a startup entrepreneur that's trying to grow your brand, I mean, I suppose that the core of what you do, Alex, is help them sort of build their kind of online profile, isn't it? And it's just as important exactly. for sort of the little guys, the SMEs, just as much as it is for the uh, the large corporates out there, as uh, you mentioned with uh, your work with uh, the likes of O2, for example. So, when we're thinking about the critical elements that those entrepreneurs need to be thinking about to build that online profile, what are some of the key fundamentals that it needs to have in order to sort of really be successful? Yeah, so I think there's some of the stuff that people are familiar with and take seriously these days, you know, visual identity, you're expressing yourself consistently across the different touch points. So does your stationary match your website, which I know sounds basic, but does matter. I think at points people overestimate the importance of how pretty their logo is or how wonderful the colors are and underestimate the importance of just consistency because you just need to be remembered when you're starting and you remember something much better if you see it frequently in exactly the same format. So I think there's those sorts of bits. But actually the key thing for me is, um, I think the Americans would talk about it as product market fit, but understanding actually why your customer needs you and then talking to that need in the places that they're looking for it. So if you're providing a relatively functional solution to something, probably Google's your friend. <laughs> you know, you need to be clearly visible in search when someone is searching for new vendor for you know, need X or product Y best option and making sure you're visible against that. I think, you know, whereas if what you're actually doing is um, meeting an unmet uh, desire from a customer, actually selling them the dream more and working with the people that they look to as guidance for what should they be looking at in life. So on a consumer product level, for example, clearly social media influencers have transformed where a lot of consumers get their information from and crucially their aspiration. How do you position with those people so you're seen as part of a desirable uh, product mix to be purchasing from? And I think that's often where people get very wrapped up in the thing they're trying to sell, but not enough in why their customer needs it and where will their customer therefore go to discover you. So I often boil it down for the sort of um, startup smaller brands that we work with. So we have a real spread from we've got seven foot C250s that we work with all the way down to early stage startups. And the early stage ones, I just talk about discovery endlessly. How will someone discover you? Why do they want to be there? How are you going to meet them in that place? It's really important, isn't it? Because when we think about innovation, I mean, there is the need for it to resolve existing problems that we see out there. But a lot of the most innovative businesses and some of the most successful businesses we see, they don't solve necessarily obvious problems, do they? They almost change consumer behaviour to disrupt the marketplace. And I suppose, and I've mentioned this um, on um, an earlier episode of the uh, the programme, actually, and had a discussion about it. I suppose the emergence of a company like Airbnb that totally ripped up the script of what you'd expect from a hotel service, that's kind of almost a good example of that, isn't it? So behaviour and how we influence it, that's also just as important to consider, and um, as well as obviously what's out there and what needs to be resolved in the here and now. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Airbnb actually are an organization we work with, um, so I've sort of got some experience with them. And I think what they've done brilliantly is both there's a functional uh, platform solution there that helps tally up you know, available rooms, properties, et cetera, with consumers looking for them. 
but it's also created a desirable lifestyle. You know, the idea that you go stay in real communities with real people around the world is, I would argue, you know, more aspirational than going to a fancy hotel. And what that's done well is tap into a desire on a generational level for authenticity and experiences rather than packaged luxury. And I think that in itself is a great example of meeting behaviours. The other one that I quite often talk about is Allbirds, the um, uh, shoe company, the American shoe company. And I mean, ultimately, they are, in their view, creating a more sustainable uh, footwear economy. And I don't think many of us would think, oh, who shall I take on, Nike and Adidas? <laughs> you know, it's the obvious brand to take on. But actually, the way they've done it is position it as a desirable product that meets a need or a desire from the audience for logo-free, slightly different you know, um, casual footwear. And through that, they've been able to achieve the sustainability goal that then becomes self-reinforcing for your brand preference. Not only do I like the way this looks because it helps me manage my image in a certain way it's also greener which helps me manage my image and that is much cleverer than going to market saying hey we've got really sustainable footwear that isn't a key driver for why you buy your next pair of trainers the reason to buy is because this is a brand that reflects my how i want to be perceived by peers so i think both of those have done a really good job of yes functionally innovating but like you say not necessarily doing the obvious thing and instead saying here's how we support you in managing how you interact with the world and it's very clever, isn't it? Because certainly since COVID, I think we've become far more aware of sustainability and uh, the impact that we do have on the uh, the environment, the planet. And so I suppose marketing yourself as a, a green business and um, something that's sort of purpose-led in that sense towards, you know, sort of protecting the planet, that's going to have benefits, isn't it, as we start to see, you know, the more of the emergence of uh, the Generation Z and as they come into sort of more leadership roles out there because businesses will want to do business with green companies, won't they? Absolutely. And I, however, I think the starting point is, is your product any good? <laughs> you know, yeah. And is it priced well? And then it's a differentiator to be more sustainable, more ethical, you know, et cetera. Uh, but you have to start with the quality of product. And I think that's where both Allbirds and Airbnb, I mean, ultimately the platform experience on Airbnb is excellent. Ultimately, Allbirds footwear stands up really well to comparison against the sort of better known competitors. In both cases, it starts with that. Is it priced at a point that is attractive to a wide audience? Yes, they are. You know, they're comparable or cheaper than their alternatives. That is where it starts. And then you go, and <laughs> there's this sort of sustainability, ESG, you know, uh, type halo around it. That's then a reason both for loyalty in particular, uh, but also, yeah, for differentiation. So if I'm teeing up, shall I get that pair of Nike or shall I get that pair of Allbirds? Actually, they're both pretty similar. That one, though, that's greener. So it's a really good point of differentiation, but it gives you a reason to carry on talking to your customer and crucially for your customer to talk about you because if I'm in the pub and someone's chatting on about, and they're like, oh, I like your shoes, normally you just go, thanks. But actually, if I can say, yeah, and do you know what? They use wool that does this, 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 and its carbon impact is this. It gives you a reason to be able to take the product conversation further, to introduce other people. And I think it's often overlooked for that role of word of mouth uh, for marketing is giving people a story that they want to tell because it helps their identity. And if I can go, yeah, I make really cool, sustainable choices. <laughs> just when someone said they like my trainers, brilliant. I've done a whole brand sales job for them. Absolutely. And marketing something that in a difficult economic environment like we're in at the moment, it's incredibly important. But quite sadly, I mean, when we're thinking about businesses out there that have to bootstrap and rein in spending, it can easily be one of the first things to go, can't it? But mm. it's not actually the wisest move to do that, is it? Because we, we, can, we should be looking at marketing in some sense as a real strategic investment right now, because there is ultimately going to be a recovery. And 
you're in you're you're going to be in a good place to capitalize on that if you invest in the right areas and marketing can certainly be one of those absolutely i think um at different stages in companies growth it's important to sustain marketing investment even in tough times um obviously you might trim slightly or you might refocus the where that you invest but keeping the investment running is crucial i think if you're a relatively early stage company i come back to the word earlier from discovery ultimately there's not a lot of point that you're still producing your widgets or you're you know offering your service if no one ever comes across you so on that level it's quite existential to keep your marketing going and on the more established end of the spectrum there's very strong good peer-reviewed academic evidence about the level of uh, decay that you get from brand awareness familiarity warmth etc and it's crucial therefore that you sustain your previous levels of awareness even if you're not actively growing them through those periods and there's very strong stuff emerging now from 2020 in the lockdowns of the difference in some categories between brands who did sustain some activity at least even if they were shuttered versus ones who didn't and just battened down the hatches and stopped talking because when the recovery came in from the 2020 restrictions in the UK you saw a disproportionate level of uptick for the ones who kept talking to their customers, particularly digitally, obviously, mm. but across all of the touch points that mattered to them. Exactly right. And um, it's also about being creative with touch points as well, isn't it? Because I suppose during the pandemic as well, digitally is something that was incredibly important because so many people were, of course, working online and from home. But we did see an uptick. And um, I actually uh, spoke to somebody um, in 2020 um, uh, from the uh, the Data Marketing Association about this. Um, actual um, sort of paper mail sort of took um, saw an uptick during the, uh, the pandemic because mm. they realised that everybody was going to be at home and would be able to actually open their letters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The unintended consequences mm. of a digital revolution to push print. But absolutely, and I think likewise retail, people are very negative about bricks and mortar as a distribution channel, but as a customer engagement channel, it's crucial. I mean, Apple are very clear on this. The digital sales are driven by the physical real estate because you go in, you experience a product, you place your order online. And I think viewing even things as tangible as whether it's print or even right down to literally you opening a pop-up shop somewhere with the view will boost your online sales. It works. And it's thinking about that in the round and then what consumers want and need from you. Exactly right. It's about sort of being clever about it, being smart, being creative and understanding that, you know, those touch points are so, so, so vital in essentially just sort of not just making people aware of your product, but also getting them to try it as well. And uh, Apple there, as you've just uh, talked about, is um, a really, really good example of that. So for anybody tuning into this, do think about exactly where your investments are going um, at this point in time, because if you are thinking about battening down the hatches, maybe there's a better way that you can look at doing it. And uh, we talked about and alluded to there the uh, the scale of the economic challenge that we are facing at the uh, the moment, Alex. So um, I suppose in that backdrop, just before we kind of wrap up on the show today, we've talked a little bit about what other businesses should be doing. But what about yourselves? What are your ambitions and goals for the year for the new year ahead of us? Yeah, so we're at a um, really interesting stage as a business. So six years old, we're scaling um, and have a very diversified client base, which we um, which were fortunate rather than lucky. It was designed, but we were fortunate about going to the pandemic, where obviously different categories were impacted in different ways. So we've been able to sustain our growth well despite the challenges of recent years. Um, and so we've uh, we grew fifty percent last year. We're aiming to continue that growth this year. We've got a particular focus and ambition around extending the support that we give to large corporates who typically in how they engage their stakeholders, staff, etc., tend to not move quite as quickly as some of the smaller consumer-led startups, but actually taking the approaches and techniques that have worked there further. We also do a lot of work around what we call influence, 
rather than influencers, but actually what are the flows of information digitally through which people are influenced, whether that's on, uh, for example, on ESG attitudes around sustainability, all the way through to employer preference, you know, where shall I go work, which employer do I want? And actually looking at that, because there's a lot more opportunity for a lot of organizations to be more scientific and therefore focus how and where do we influence. So we've got a couple of kind of key service delivery bits there. With our team, though, our big focus is crucially about how we support them in continuing to develop their excellence. We aim to have only top quartile performers for the industry and then to pay uh, remuneration accordingly. So with that comes a focus on we have a lot of very driven individuals who want to progress that and making sure that despite a tough economy that those opportunities don't stop is a key one because that's a reason to come work at 150 to be truly excellent. And to do that, we've got to meet them with the right opportunities to develop that excellence. Exactly right. I mean, it's not just about, of course, the product. It's it's the people that work for you as well, isn't it? Investing in their development, I think, is so, so, so important in the here and now. And we could uh, talk about that for hours on end, I'm certainly sure. But uh, <laughs> um, I'd relish the opportunity, actually, Alex, just given how enlightening today's discussion has been, to even catch up and welcome you back onto the show in future, just to kind of see, you know, how uh, you're coming along and achieving those goals that you've talked about. And indeed, yeah, we can, uh, we can have a whole new element to the, uh, to the conversation, talking about sort of people and how important they are and how they tie into all of this, too. I'd absolutely love to look forward to it uh, Likewise Alex and it's been my immense pleasure as well welcoming you onto the Leaders Council podcast today and thanks ever so much again for your time and I do hope that everybody tuning into the show has enjoyed listening to Alex Permain co-founder of 150 Consultancy and um, Alex once again best of luck for the uh, for the year ahead Thanks Scott and to everybody listening in I've been your host Scott Challoner on today's episode of the Leaders Council podcast and until next time when we'll be back with a whole new perspective on both leadership and current affairs please do take care everybody and goodbye <laughs>